Before I get started, I actually want to recognize how my father works. I love how my father works. The Jesus in other people speak to the Jesus in me. Because I was working on my message, and after, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours of looking at the same message, you're like, is this even anointed anymore, Lord? (laughs) And Pastor Steve had stopped by and out of his mouth. He had no idea what he was saying. He just kept saying the right words, the right words. And God's going, see, that's me. See, that's me. See, that's me. See, that's me. See, see, that's me. See, that's me. (laughs) I love how God uses the body of Christ to verify what the word of, of the Lord is. When I was preparing for this message this week, I had been praying. I said, God, I want miracles, signs, and wonders. I want healings in abundance. Father God, you said they belong to us, and I want to see them. So when I was preparing this message, I was done early yesterday. I was like, is, is that all there is? <laughs> is this anointed? <laughs> is this the right word, Lord? Because you see, I don't want to get up here and preach a word. That's just a word. I want to get up and minister what the Holy Spirit is saying. And the Holy Spirit is saying it is time for signs and miracles and wonders. The Jesus in people here this morning has been verifying, verifying what the Jesus in me is saying. That's important because God loves to confirm his word. You know what happens when he confirms his word? Our faith rises. It's important that we believe today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of miracles. Today is the day of freedom. Today is the day of my healing. Today is going to be a good day for me. And I'm going to spread the good day. That's the verification, the confirmation that this is the word that the Lord has designed for you to hear this morning. I have called this morning's message, Arise and Walk. Recently, we've been looking at the word arise. We've looked at the truths behind the words arise, my love, both in the song of the same name and in the scripture in the Song of Solomon where the bridegroom Jesus says to us, his bride, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. When I saw that the Hebrew word for come away means to walk, I immediately thought of the scripture where Jesus says, which is easier? Thy sins are forgiven thee, or arise and walk. So this morning, we are going to continue with the concept of arising and walking with Jesus. I am going to read you the story where Jesus heals a man with paralysis, but I'm going to use a combination of all three gospel versions. (laughs) Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same story, but they all have different details. So I'm going to piece them together. We will see in this story that Jesus tells a paralyzed man that his sins are already forgiven. And then, after he knows he's forgiven, Jesus calls him to arise and walk. Arise and do what you couldn't do before. Physically, he asks him to participate in the benefits that his forgiveness has purchased. I believe we as believers are also called to do the same, to arise in the knowledge that our sins are already forgiven, and that this forgiveness opens the door for our complete healing in every area of our life. Now, just prior to Jesus healing the paralytic, he had healed and cleansed a man of leprosy somewhere in the vicinity of Galilee. 
And Jesus specifically told this man, do not tell anyone about what has happened to you, but go and show yourself to the priest. Now, the man was not considered legally clean until after a priest inspected him and the appropriate animal sacrifices were offered. Then he could go back to his family. Then he could go back to his community. But if he had done what Jesus had told him to do, the priest would have verified the miracle. <laughs> there was a reason that Jesus told him to do what he don't tell anybody. Let the priest verify. Let those with authority verify so that people will believe this is an authentic miracle. But the man was so overwhelmed with joy <laughs> that he obviously told everyone he ran into. <laughs> As you can understand, if you're full of leprosy, if you have not had physical contact with people, your loved ones, your family, friends, you've been outside the community and Jesus completely heals you. It's gonna be hard not to tell. <laughs> and that was the case with this man. As a result of him telling everybody he could, all kinds of people were coming from all over, from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, to see Jesus. Now, if you look at a map of Israel, Galilee is at the top, and Jerusalem and Judea is at the bottom, and over to the side is Decapolis. Right in the middle is Samaria. Nobody comes from Samaria. <laughs> but Jesus healed somebody up here in Galilee, and people from all over are coming to see Jesus because this miracle is so astounding. Who on earth can heal le leprosy? So that was the backdrop. Even the Pharisees and the doctors of the law could not resist coming to see for themselves what Jesus was doing and teaching. Who can heal leprosy? Who is the man who would who would heal leprosy. There are only three recorded instances of leprosy being healed in the Old Testament. Moses and Miriam and Naaman. Moses and Miriam, God demonstrated his power. <laughs> he let them have leprosy for a moment and then he immediately removed it. But Naaman, he wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile who didn't have enough sense to know that you don't get healed. <laughs> from leprosy. <laughs> you have this, you're going to die with it, get over it. No, he's like, no, there's got to be, there's got to be someone. And he found someone. Moses and Miriam were healed by God directly, and Elijah, the prophet, told Naaman how to receive healing from God. But there was no record ever in the Old Testament of a human being or a prophet or anyone who could heal a leper or would even want to. What's interesting about leprosy is that it was considered specifically to be a curse from God. So lepers weren't just considered to be sick and contagious. They were considered to be under the judgment of God. The 1828 Webster's Dictionary says that a judgment is a remarkable punishment, an extraordinary calamity inflicted by God on sinners. So lepers were considered to be great sinners. The priests of that time often boasted that when they saw a leper, they would throw rocks at it because they deserved, they deserved to be treated that way. Whatever they did caused God to curse them. They deserved the worst of the worst. That was their mindset about a leper. 
So when the leper asked Jesus to make him clean, he was asking for more than just healing. He was asking to be brought back into a right relationship with God. Talk about blowing some minds. <laughs> In their Jewish thinking, when Jesus removed the leprosy, he must have also removed God's judgment. How on earth is that possible? That's what the doctors of the law and the Pharisees wanted to know. How are you managing to get people right with God? The Jews recognized that Jesus was doing things that only God could do. It was God that healed. It was God who removed judgment. And it was only God who could remove sin. And this is the backdrop of Jesus' next miracle, which is the healing of the paralytic. I will be reading from Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, and Luke chapter 5, all mixed together. So it doesn't flow smoothly, but I want you to see all of the details. Starting with Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, And he, Jesus, entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he, Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. I love that. Jesus is in the house. <laughs> Jesus is in this house. <laughs> and Jesus is in your house. Okay? Everyone heard of the healings, the healing of the leper and all the other healings that Jesus had been doing. Jesus was going around proclaiming the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus was going around and healing everyone who asked. Jesus healed them all. You see, if God would heal a leper, then nobody is excluded. <laughs> if the qualification is the worst of the worst can get healed and delivered, hey, <laughs> you can put me in that category. <laughs> No one is excluded if a leper's not excluded. Luke 5, verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he, Jesus, was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The word present isn't actually there in the Greek. The translators added that to help us understand. What it says is, the power of the Lord to heal them. The power of the Lord was to heal them. Now we add the word present because we understand it that way. But they were saying, look, the power of God is here to heal you. The power of God is here to heal you. That's what they were saying. They could see it, that the power of God was present to heal. It isn't any different today. Is Jesus in the house? Then the power of God is present to heal you. We have to believe that. We have to believe that. We have to believe like the leper. Jesus doesn't say no to anybody. Jesus isn't going to say no to me. And then it says to heal. I love that. Sometimes when we, as Christians, we say, well, I'm waiting for my healing to manifest. Sometimes we think of healing as a progressive thing which it absolutely can be, absolutely. But 
I really like it when you look at the root word, it means cure. How many you know we're not usually cured <laughs> by a process? We're cured instantly. This isn't something I'm going to just get better and better at. I'm cured. This is finished. That was what, it, what they were saying. The presence of God, the power of God was present to cure completely, entirely. It's true for us too. I like what it also means. To cure means to remove an evil and to restore to a good state. To restore to a good state. God verified the message by the signs and the wonders. God was putting his yes and amen to what Jesus preached. Jesus will do that today too. Mark chapter 2 verse 2 says, And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Jesus preached the presence of the kingdom of God available right now through faith. He didn't require anything of them. When he healed the leper, he didn't say, go make your offerings and then come back. Nothing was required but faith. Do you believe I can? Do you believe I will? You see, that was the leper's question, wasn't it? I know you can, not sure you will. <laughs> Jesus said, I will. And if he will heal and cleanse a leper, he will heal and cleanse anybody who asks. Matthew 4, 20, verse 23. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Jesus would preach the truth and the signs and the healings and the miracles would verify that what he said was from God. So Jesus is teaching and preaching in Peter's house in the courtyard. In houses in those days, they had a space inside their house that was a courtyard. Often there would be no roof because it was a courtyard, but it would be all encased. Okay, so you could have your children in your courtyard and they were safe. In houses like that, there was also the second part of the house that would have a roof on it. But they would have what we would call a security wall. <laughs> so the children couldn't, you know, fall off the second story there. <laughs> and what some scholars believe is there were so many people at Peter's house. Because if Jesus will heal a leper, Jesus will heal me. Who's going to wait in line for healing? Yeah. <laughs> if I got to wait in line, yeah, I'll do that. Because he's given it to whosoever will. So they're all waiting in line to get in. And some guys come along. <laughs> and we're going to get to that in a second. But Jesus is inside this courtyard. And the courtyard of the house is completely packed. Outside of the house is completely packed. And he's preaching the word. You see, Jesus always preached or taught first. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. When we hear the word of God, our faith rises to meet it. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was preaching the kingdom so that their faith could rise. Luke 5, verse 18. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. 
Some man had four friends <laughs> who must have loved him. Because <laughs> they said, we know a man who heals whosoever will. Now you have to always remember that in Jewish thought, if you're sick, you're under judgment. And the worse the sickness, the worse the judgment. Which means in Jewish thought, the worse the sin. Okay? So you gotta remember, Jesus isn't preaching to Gentiles. All these people that are coming are Jews who are sick. <laughs> They're not supposed to be sick. But they haven't figured out how to walk in their covenant, to stay in their covenant. They don't have the faith. It is assumed that during that time there was a lot of apostasy, quote unquote, with the Jewish people. The Pharisees were so adamant about returning to the law and sometimes when it gets hard, you're like, I don't want to keep the law. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to, I don't want to. <laughs> it's too hard. So all of these Jewish people are sick, but they don't have anywhere else to go. Some of them tried other false gods. And that was always Israel's downfall, trying to get from a false god what only came from the one true and living God. So this is the backdrop. So these guys bring in a paralytic a man paralyzed, probably from the neck down. What are they thinking? Ooh, what did you do? <laughs> God is mad at you. <laughs> That's their mindset. And it says in Luke 5, 19, and when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and they let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Now that's gotta be quite a sight, okay? Because they're breaking stuff up off the roof. <laughs> All the roofs were flat and they were dirt. And so it was common to be able to walk from one house to the other house on top of roofs. So when Peter's house was completely packed and couldn't get in, they're like, ha ha. I love this because they're like, Jesus heals lepers. I am not leaving here without what belongs. What, he's got, what belongs to Jesus, healing. I am not leaving here without what I came for. I'm gonna find a way in. These four guys are like, hang on, he heals lepers, he'll heal you too. <laughs> we'll find a way. And they went up on the roof and they either broke through the dirt roof or they broke through the security wall. We don't know which. But they lower this man down in the midst of the meeting. Now that's gotta be quite a sight. What would you think if all of a sudden someone started breaking through the ceiling? Because <laughs> they knew, they knew, they knew if they could get before Jesus, if they could get within reach of Jesus, that everything would be fine. They knew he wasn't saying no to anybody. They weren't going to leave their friend the way they found him. Matthew 9, verse 2 says, And behold, they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. First thing I like is Jesus saw their faith. Faith is something you can see. <laughs> There is something about somebody who's in faith. You can see it on them. But Jesus saw their faith by what they did. See, faith has a corresponding action. If they believed that Jesus was going to heal everyone who came that day, 
then they're going to do whatever it takes to get right before Jesus. Their faith brought an action. Faith is something we can see. Faith's target, though, is really always grace. The absolutely free, loving kindness of God to mankind. That's why we can say Jesus is grace. Because grace saw their faith, and faith saw his grace. Jesus is the Father's absolutely free loving kindness expressed to man. That's why we call Jesus grace. What I love about this is Jesus saw the faith of all five men. Five is always the number for grace. So grace saw faith. Jesus saw faith. Grace is always looking for faith. And faith is always looking for grace. Not for stuff, but for grace. The four who carried their friend and broke into the house had faith. They responded by action. And the faith of the one in need of a miracle. This guy must have been able to talk. <laughs> or communicate in some way, because he went with them. And not that there's a lot they could do about it <laughs> if he didn't want to go. <laughs> but they all five had faith, and their faith in Jesus' ability and Jesus' willingness to heal produced audacious action. They were so sure of Jesus' absolutely free loving kindness that they didn't let anything get in the way of what they knew was available. All five of them were in agreement, always a good thing, in agreement that Jesus was both able and willing to heal. How did they know that Jesus was both able and willing? The story of the leper. Matthew 8, verses 2 and 3 says, And behold, the leper came unto him, unto Jesus, and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The point is that if Jesus was willing to heal a leper, then absolutely nobody else can be excluded. The leper was considered the worst of the worst, both spiritually and physically. So if Jesus was willing to heal a leper, then it meant that Jesus was, would be willing to heal anyone. When the five men saw that Jesus operated by grace and not by merit, their faith went sky high. Literally, it took them right up to the roof. <laughs> it took them right up to the roof because they knew Jesus wasn't turning anybody away. He didn't look at anyone and say, you're not good enough. He didn't look at anyone and say, clean up your act. He didn't look at anyone and say, repent, repent. <laughs> then I'll heal you. He said, no, no, change your mind because there's a kingdom available now and it's available to whosoever will. Jesus healed absolutely all that came to him. We could say it's okay to be sick with Jesus if Jesus left some people sick. Isn't that right? If Jesus left people sick, then we can say, see, it's God's will sometimes not to heal. Sometimes God wants you to be sick. You're going to learn a nice lesson from this. You don't learn lessons from being sick. You learn lessons from the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit is the teacher of the church, not sickness, not disease, not poverty, not lack. Holy Spirit is our teacher. But when Jesus sees the paralytic, he says something very unusual, very controversial. First, he starts with son. I like that. It probably means he was a younger man. And then he says, be of good cheer, which means be confident. Don't be afraid. We might say it this way. Son, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> now, why would Jesus start with, this is going to be a good day? Be of good cheer. Be confident. Well, you've just interrupted his meeting. You've just cut to the front of the line. Uh, Jesus may not have been angry, but I bet there were a lot of other people who were. <laughs> so, and you've just broken Peter's house. <laughs> As a human being, you might think, he might be upset with this. I, we know he's able, we know he's willing, but he might be upset with some of the things I've just done. I think Jesus was smiling. I think Jesus was having a really good time. I think Jesus was saying, oh, son, this is really going to be a good day. <laughs> because people, if Jesus could see their faith, other people could see their faith. If Jesus wasn't going to turn him down after he broke into the house, <laughs> I didn't break into the house. No reason for Jesus to turn me away. <laughs> but Jesus wasn't mad. Jesus wasn't mad at all. This is the thing that really irritated the Pharisees. He says, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't say, I be healed. That's not how he started. He started with, your sins are forgiven you. Now, why did he say that? He didn't say that to the leper, you know, the guy who's cursed of God, <laughs> or anybody else so far in this ministry. In fact, Scripture tells us he only says this twice. Here, to the paralytic, and then also to the woman who washes his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. So this is the first time Jesus says to someone, your sins are forgiven you. Why would Jesus say this? We don't know for sure, because the word doesn't tell us, but the truth is, this man must have needed to hear it. He needed to know that his sins were not being held against him. Some scholars believe that the man's condition may have been caused by something he did and that there was a direct correlation between his sin and his condition. So most likely it was his own heart that condemned him. And Jesus wanted to remove the condemnation. Jesus knows we are not good receivers when we are condemned. When we are condemned, we are passing sentence and judgment on ourselves, telling ourselves we don't deserve it. We're not good enough. We haven't worked hard enough. We haven't proven ourselves. We don't have enough faith. That's condemnation. First John 3.20 says, If our heart condemn us, praise God. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. I love that. God knows absolutely everything. He knows every mistake, every failure, every sin. Every time I put my foot in my mouth, He knows. <laughs> He knows, and he still doesn't condemn. 1 John 3, 21, Beloved, beloved, beloved. 
if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. We can condemn ourselves over every little thing. We can look in the mirror and say, you're not thin enough to receive the blessing. We can look in our checkbook and say, you're not rich enough to receive the blessing. We can look anywhere in our life and say, you're not working hard enough. You haven't done enough. You're not good enough. The enemy loves to condemn us, loves to condemn us, because he knows if he can get us to condemn ourselves, we won't be good receivers. We condemn ourselves over the dumbest stuff. Oh, did you, you watched that commercial. Can you believe it? You actually sat there and watched that commercial. <laughs> Condemnation. I mean, he sneaks in every which way he can to get you, to get you to pass a sentence against you so that you don't receive. And so that you'll blame God. God must not want me well. I must not have enough faith. You know how easy it is to condemn yourself for not having big enough faith? All I have to do is listen to Andrew Womack and his testimony about being well for 40 years. It's like, oh, God, I'll never get there. <laughs> God, I can't live up to that. <laughs> Somebody else's success condemns us. We get condemned over dumb stuff. Stop it. Your sins are all forgiven you. Your mistakes are all forgiven you. There's no reason to say no to you. Stop saying no to yourself. Jesus wanted this paralytic to have complete confidence because you don't have complete confidence if you're walking in any kind of condemnation for any ridiculous reason. When we believe that we have gotten what we deserved, it is hard to have faith. You see, if this young man said, I'm the one that did this. I was drinking and I did something stupid and I jumped off a rock and now I'm paralyzed from the neck down. I deserve this. Well, how do you get rid of that? Can't. <laughs> Can't. It's got to be removed by God. I've got to know that He's not holding any of my stupidity against me. <laughs> Even the things we do to ourselves are all forgiven. It is when we believe we don't deserve it, when we know we don't deserve it, that it can be hard to have confidence. There's that self-righteous part of us that if we could just be good enough, <laughs> long enough, then maybe Jesus would bless us because we've been good long enough. That's not the way God works. He says, come to the end of yourself. Come to the end of your making yourself right. Come to the end of being your own judge and believe in the absolutely free loving kindness of a heavenly father who loved you so much that he gave his son to die in your place. Believe in that. Our natural brain, it loves justice. Natural thinking always works against us. Looking at a man after the flesh is natural thinking. 
It always brings death in that life. It always brings self-effort and self-examination, and, and which always results in either self-condemnation or self-justification. Ew. <laughs> On the one hand, natural thinking says, I can fix myself. I can make myself forgivable. I can make myself blessable. And then on the other hand, our natural thinking will turn right around and say, you don't deserve to be forgiven. You deserve to be punished. You deserve to be sick. You did this to yourself. Our natural thinking always tells us to look at ourselves and our own abilities instead of looking to God and his abilities. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we reach the point that we realize that we are completely helpless, hallelujah, <laughs> completely helpless in our own strength, then we're ready to receive God's gift of grace and mercy. This paralyzed man could not get more helpless. He couldn't get more hopeless. He had absolutely no strength of his own and nowhere else to go. But after hearing about Jesus, he and his friends were no longer hopeless and they knew exactly where to go. There was a man who was making lepers whole. What I love about what Jesus said here is he didn't say, I forgive you. I currently forgive you of your sins. Jesus put it in the past tense. The word be or are isn't actually there in the Greek. It literally says, your sins forgiven you. That's exactly what it says. There is no are or be. The English translators, they like to add words to help with fluency and understanding. But the King James translators were not comfortable with Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven you, already forgiven you. So they put it in the future tense. Your sins be forgiven you. Your sins become forgiven you. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't put it into a future tense. He put it into a past tense. He says, son, your sins forgiven, already, done. That's what Jesus says to us. Your sins, forgiven. That's the good news of the gospel of grace. Our sins are already forgiven because our forgiveness isn't based on our goodness or our so-called repentance or so-called sorriness. <laughs> I can't tell you how many altars I went to and said, how do I know when I'm forgiven? When I have been sorry enough when I have repented long enough, what point do I know that I'm forgiven? Nobody had a good answer because they put it in a current and future tense. If you do X, Y, and Z, Jesus will forgive you. No, no, no. Your sins? Forgiven. <laughs> That's what I needed to believe. My sins? Forgiven. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I changed my mind. Yes. But all I needed to hear Jesus or somebody tell me, your sins, forgiven, forgiven. They're not being held against you. They never will be. So Jesus says to this paralytic, who is obviously a great sinner, your sins are forgiven, already forgiven. And he says it in front of the opposition. I love that. Jesus doesn't let his opposition decide how he ministers to the needs of others. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and he didn't let anyone interfere with that. Oh, what if we were like that? What if we went to the grocery store and we saw somebody sick, saw somebody 
hobbling. So <laughs> and we didn't let anybody tell us what we could and could not do. We wouldn't let our conscience interfere with us. We wouldn't let our fear interfere with us. We wouldn't let our doubt interfere. What if we really believed what Jesus said? Their sins, forgiven. No reason to say no. No reason to deny them. No reason. This man needed to know more than anything else that he was free from the guilt and the shame of all of his sins. God wasn't against him or against him receiving his complete healing, his complete cure. For the Jew, healing and forgiveness went hand in hand. Sickness and disease were the consequences of being under the curse, and you were only cursed because of sin. So if there is no sin, then there's no reason for sickness and disease to stay. Not only is there no reason, but there is no right for it to stay. And this is true for us under the new covenant as well. We have been made right with God. We live in a state of being right with God <laughs> through the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when we fall short of God's perfection, even when we choose to follow after our flesh, who and what we are doesn't change. We still live in the kingdom of God's grace. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin is always dumb. <laughs> Sin will wreck and destroy that which is good and precious in our lives. But it doesn't take us out of the kingdom of God's grace. As New Testament believers, we recognize that sickness, disease, and calamity happen because we live in a fallen world. Not because of personal sin, but because of Adam's sin. But even if what we are currently suffering has been caused by something we did, we need to know that Jesus brought a new covenant where the only price to be paid for sin has already been paid by God himself. Sin isn't paid for by being sorry. Sin isn't paid for by fasting. Sin is not paid for by reading your Bible more. Sin is not paid for by giving more. Sin is not paid for by any good deed we do. Sin is not paid for by anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, nothing has the right to stand in the way of us receiving the grace for our healing, the grace for our cure, the grace for our deliverance, the grace for our provision, and most importantly, the grace of our acceptance and favor with our Father. This is the first and deepest need of a human being, the acceptance and love of God as our Father. And it is from knowing and seeing His absolutely free loving kindness towards us that our faith rises and takes action. Mark chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 say this, But there were certain scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but only God? Is Jesus speaking blasphemy? If Jesus is who he says he is, then no. But if Jesus is mere man, then yes. Of course, Jesus is more than just a man. He is God come to earth in humanity. But the Pharisees didn't believe that. So they were sure he was blaspheming because he was making himself equal to God. How can a man declare to another man, your sins are forgiven? Only God can remove sin. So if Jesus proves that he has the ability to not only remove leprosy and paralysis, but also the judgment for sin, and even the sin itself, then he must be who he says he is. 
Mark chapter 2, verse 8 says, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Matthew 9, 5. For whether is easier to say, Thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. Which is easier, to forgive sins or to heal? Well, in their estimation, physical healing was easier but only because they've already seen Jesus do that. <laughs> it's not like anybody else was doing that. <laughs> and he was healing everyone of everything. But the Pharisees weren't letting the truth of what Jesus was doing affect their hearts. They knew no one had ever healed people this way. In fact, Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees that came to Jesus by night, and he said this in John chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. But what the Pharisees weren't admitting to was that this totally messed up their theology. They only knew the law. They didn't know God's heart. And under the law, sin equals sickness. No sin, no sickness. So if Jesus can remove sickness, that has to mean he has the ability to remove the cause of the sickness, which was sin. Otherwise, he would be working against God. So if he can remove sin, then he automatically removes the right of sickness and disease to stay. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, But that they may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. Luke 5:25, And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. This is usually where we struggle as believers. We usually believe that the forgiveness of sins is easy, but the removal of sickness and disease is hard. But the truth is, it doesn't matter which side of the equation you're on. If you have already received the grace for your sins, then you are automatically qualified to receive grace for your healing. Because if Jesus removes sin, then he removes the right of sickness and disease to stay. And if Jesus removes sickness and disease, then we know Jesus must have also dealt with their sins. This is why God can heal people who aren't even saved yet. Because their sins are already forgiven them in Christ. Once someone receives the grace to be healed, receiving the grace for the forgiveness of sins becomes easy. One of the instructors at Karis, his wife actually got healed she went to a Happy Hunters meeting. The word went forth that Jesus heals just because you ask him, just because he loves you. He's not mad. He's not holding your sins against you. And at the end of the service, they asked, if you want to be healed, stand to your feet. And when she stood to her feet, she had a back problem and was instantly cured, instantly healed. And then she thought, you know what? <laughs> this is pretty good. I should probably know this Jesus. <laughs> See, getting saved is easy after you get healed. <laughs> grace is for healing, and grace is for sins. Grace is for whatever we have need of. It is the absolutely free, loving kindness of God given to us through Jesus Christ. It is so easy for us as believers to come under condemnation, not just because of our sins, but because of our failures. When we don't see healings and miracles and deliverances manifest in our body, we can feel like somehow we're failing. But this is just a trick of the enemy. Looking at our faith is still looking at our own ability to change. 
I spent lots of years trying to increase my faith and build my faith and all of those good things. But what I didn't understand is that what I needed to look at was God's absolutely free loving kindness. I needed to look for grace because faith is always for grace. If I see grace, my faith rises. If I understand just how free my Father's love is, just how free His gifts are, just how free His healing is, if I really get a revelation that it's mine already, then my faith will rise to take hold of it. That's what causes us to walk out of sickness and disease. It's grace. Just like with the leper, no one is excluded from being able to receive God's grace. Everyone is qualified to receive grace because grace is absolutely free. We need to quit looking to see if our faith is big enough. I used to go to healing lines and go, okay, Jesus, do I have enough faith to receive today? Is my faith big enough to grab hold? What am I doing? I'm looking to me. Looking to me is stupid. <laughs> looking to me won't get me anywhere. It's not my ability that heals me. It's Jesus who heals me. It's Jesus who heals me. It's his grace that heals me. It's not what I do to build myself up. I don't have to get bigger. The paralytic had no strength in himself at all. All he knew was Jesus was giving away healing. And Jesus gave away more than healing. He gave a clean conscience. He gave a clean heart. He was able to bring men back into right relationship with God. Our sins are already forgiven us through Christ. There is nothing to keep us from receiving grace. That's what we're asking for. The absolutely free loving kindness of God, grace for our bodies. We too can arise and walk. We can arise in the truth that our sins are already forgiven us. We can arise in the grace provided by Christ and walk out of our sickness and disease, out of our poverty and lack out of the struggles that keep us feeling like failures. Like the five men whose faith could be seen by what they did, and like the woman who acted on her faith and stood, I want to give you the opportunity to let Jesus see your faith too. I have ministered the truth of the kingdom of God, and the power of God is here to heal us. This morning, we're going to play the song, Arise, My Love. And as you listen to this song, I encourage you to believe that all of your sins are forgiven you. I encourage you to hear Jesus and the Father say to you, Arise, receive my love, receive my grace. Arise and walk. Walk out of your sickness, walk out of your disease by simply believing Jesus has the power and the love, the mercy and the grace available today by faith. If at any time you hear Jesus say, Arise, stand to your feet. But simply believe that every promise is yes and amen. Expect. Expect the answer to be yes. Expect your body to respond. Expect Jesus to do the same kind of miracles today as he did then. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of, of healing. Today is the day of miracles. Today is the day of your release. Today is the day when you can walk like this paralytic, free from whatever has held you in bondage. 
Amen. Father, we thank you for the healing presence and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood that delivers us from all the power of the enemy. We thank you, Jesus, that you laid down your life so that we could live, so we could have life and life more abundantly. We thank you that you have destroyed the power of the curse in our lives. You have destroyed the power of sickness and disease. You have destroyed the power of poverty and lack. You have destroyed all the power of the enemy. Hell hath been defeated. We have been risen to new life in Jesus Christ. We have new bodies. We have new organs. We have new immune systems. We have new legs. We have new kidneys. We have new fingertips. We have new everything. Whatever we have need of, we have new. We receive, Lord Jesus. We receive the healing presence of Jesus. We receive the miracles of our God. We receive them, Father God, and we give you honor and praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.